turn to 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 3. I appreciate the thought that was put into the hymns that we sang this morning, uh, go, the thought that goes in every week, but uh, we sang some songs this morning about the return of Christ, about being prepared for the return of Christ. One day, Jesus Christ is going to return to earth. Are you ready? Are you prepared for that day? After spending 40 days resurrected on earth, after rising from the tomb, Jesus ascended into heaven with the promise of his return. In fact, we read in Acts chapter 1 that this Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven, this was told to the apostles, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. He's coming back. Just as you saw him go up, he will come back down and return. And I imagine for the apostles, as they, they stood there looking up into the sky and they were waiting for his return, I imagine that they counted the days after Jesus had ascended. And they counted maybe the weeks, and then it was months, and then it was maybe a whole year since Jesus ascended. Still hasn't returned. Then maybe ten years, a hundred years, and now today, a couple thousand years have passed since Jesus ascended into heaven. It's a good thing the apostles didn't keep looking up at the sky. They would still be there. Well, no, they wouldn't. Uh, but they, they would have been looking for a long time. This week, we're preparing for the year 2020. 2020. It'll be a new year. It'll be a new decade. But where's the return of Christ? He hasn't come back yet. He hasn't returned to earth. He hasn't come back after ascending those many years ago. Some people have responded with faith, knowing that Christ is going to return, but sadly, many more have responded to these, these many years that have passed with doubt, maybe even with fear that Jesus isn't coming back, that maybe, maybe all the, the, the Bible's wrong, that Jesus isn't returning. And it seems like more and more people in our world doubt God's existence, let alone that the Bible and its prophecies are accurate and trustworthy. And this can be discouraging to those who are waiting on him to return in faith. What should we say to those people who doubt his return? It's been 2,000-ish years since he left. He's not coming back. What do you say to those people? How should believers respond when another year passes and Christ still has not returned? This morning, we're going to see how the Apostle Peter responded to such questions and doubts and how he encouraged believers to trust in the faithfulness of God's Word. Read with me in 2 Peter chapter 3. Peter wrote, This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, 
the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. The Apostle Peter wrote his letters to believers who were bombarded with false teaching, with false prophets, men who were not only interpreting the scriptures and teaching the wrong things, but were making terrible predictions, false lies about what would happen in the future and what would not happen in the future. Peter, in 2 Peter alone, called them waterless springs. They promise freedom, but are enslaved to corruption. These false teachers, they can't help you. They're, they're, they'll promise you help. They'll promise you the, the truth that will free you, but they're enslaved to corruption. So Peter, in both of his letters, made an effort to stir up the minds of his readers. To stir up something is to, to again, to shake something into activity, to, uh, to disturb some kind of complacency. Something has gotten maybe inactive. It stopped moving, and you are bringing it back into activity. And that's, that's an easy illustration to imagine. We know what the word to stir up something means. Peter had a very good idea of what the word stir up meant since he spent some time on stormy seas. He knew what a stirred up sea looked like. But now he's writing to his, these readers. And he's telling them, I want to stir up your minds. I want to stir up the inactivity, the complacency in your mind, maybe, about these truths. He says he wants to stir up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through apostles. There were, there were teachings, there were commandments, there were prophecies that Peter didn't want his readers to forget. He didn't want them to be sidetracked by false teaching. He didn't want them to be taken aside and, and taken captive by false teachings. He wanted them to be stirred up, to be awake with regard to these teachings, specifically here in this chapter to the return of Christ. He recognized that they had sincere minds. These were believers. These were people who trusted in Christ and knew the gospel. Their minds were sincere. But he didn't want them sidetracked by false teachings. In fact, earlier he uses the same phrase to stir up in chapter 1. And he says, I think it right as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder. And I will make every effort so that after my departure you may be able to you may be able at any time to recall these things. Peter knew it was important to recall the teachings, to recall the prophecies. It was an important thing to remember the return of Christ, not to let it go by the wayside and to forget it and to grow complacent where it doesn't affect how you live. You don't think about it ever. But Peter wanted to stir up the minds of his readers. It's, it's an important thing to stir up your mind with the Word of God. If you're not reading it, if you're not studying it, if you're not meditating on the Word of God, putting it into uh, practical application, you're going to be unprepared when false teachings come, like they did to these readers. Because it's the Word of God that equips us against lies, equips us against deceit. When people come at us with teachings that, that, that are wrong and are dangerous, it's the Word of God that we come back to and rest on. It's God's word that we, we trust in for its, its faithfulness. Peter's readers were facing a false teaching that has been common to man ever since the ascension of Christ. I'm sure that ever since Christ ascended into heaven, there were people saying he's not coming back. He is not returning to earth. 
He's not going to do what he has said he will do. And we see in verse 3 that this was certainly happen, happening. And Peter wanted his readers to be aware of this. He wanted to stir up their sincere minds by way of reminder. He says in verse 3, Knowing this first of all, consider this first, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. We hear about people today who, who mock the word of God, who mock the prophecies about Christ's return and, and any other prophecies that the word of God uh, contains. But this was, is not a new thing today. This is not a new occurrence that people are doubting the word of God and even mocking it, joking about it, scoffing at the idea that Christ is going to return. This was happening even in Peter's day, even in those few years after the ascension of Christ. He says there are going to be scoffers, there are going to be mockers that come, and they're going to be following their own sinful desires. They're not coming with your interest in mind. They're not coming to bless you. They're not coming to please the Lord. They are coming with their own desires, and this is what they're going to say. They're going to say, where is the promise of his coming? Where is he? It's been a year, Peter. It's been 10 years, Peter. Where is the promise of his coming? It's been 2,000 years, Connor. <laughs> Where is the promise of Jesus' return? The Bible says he's going to return, and he hasn't. The Bible must be wrong. Why, do you, why would you believe in that? Christ hasn't come back. They'll say things like, For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. <laughs> ever since the fathers fell asleep, everything's staying the same. Nothing has changed. Jesus promised his return. He was going to come back. Things were going to be changed. There was, there was going to be this day of the Lord but it hasn't happened, so it must, must not be coming. The world's heart is hard against God's Word, and it doesn't help that many Christians have predicted the exact timing of Jesus' return, claiming to have the authority of God, and then when it doesn't happen, people criticize God, and they don't believe Him. Don't be one of those people. Uh, the world has a hard heart against prophecy, against the Word of God. And to many, the return of Christ is a joke. And I pray this morning that it's not a joke to you. That the return of Christ is not something that you mock or just sort of take lightly. But that you believe he's coming. See, Peter doesn't fall for this lie, but instead he rests on the faithfulness of God. And Peter's going to give in the next few verses an argument that's based on the surety of God's word in the past. See, just as sure as the word of God created the universe, we can trust that the word of God is storing up this world for the return of Christ. In fact, he says in verse 5, for they, talking about scoffers, people who would question the return of Christ, he says they deliberately, this is willing, I think this is a willing thing they do, they deliberately overlook this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. The first example he gives is that they, people who mock the return of Christ, they are willingly, deliberately overlooking the fact that God created the universe with his word, that the word of God made all things, that he is the creator. And beyond that, not only do they doubt the creation, they deliberately overlook it, but he says that in verse 6, and that by means of these, by means of water, 
the world that then existed was deluged with water. It was, it was drowned with water and perished. They, they deny that the, the, the word of God creating the universe. They deny the word of God bringing the flood. And they do it deliberately because they don't want to be accountable to that word. They don't want to believe the faithfulness of God's word. They don't want to believe that just as he was faithful in the past and his word was true in the past, that his word is going to be true as time continues. They deliberately overlook this. It's no wonder today that people who, people who don't believe in Christ and, and, and even some who do believe in Christ, they, they want to attack creation and they want to attack the flood. <laughs> because those are two of the greatest testaments of God's power and the authority of his word. See, Peter goes back to those two great events. And he says, that's why you can believe that Christ is coming back. That is why you can know beyond a doubt that Christ is returning. Because you believe that he created the universe. You believe that that same word brought the floods. You believe that happened, don't you? Believe also that Christ is coming back. It says in verse 7, by the same word, this word that brought creation, the word that brought the flood, by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. There's a day coming when this world is going to be destroyed by fire, that creation is going to be destroyed by fire. It's going to be a day of judgment when God executes his judgment on his creation. And it's going to be a day of destruction of the ungodly, those who are not in conformity to God, those who have not believed on his son. He says those things, that, that day of the destruction of this world, day of judgment, destruction of the ungodly, it is being kept, it is being guarded, it is being prepared by the same word that created the universe. Denying creation, denying the flood, denying God's authority as our creator, it's a dangerous path. You start down that road and you're not going to believe prophecies like Christ is coming back. Like God has authority over your life. Well, you can read in Romans 1, we won't go there, but the first chapter of Romans details this out very clearly. That what the denying God as the creator and doubting that he created the universe, doubting that authority leads you down a path into all sorts of wickedness because you don't accept any authority of God over your life. It's led mankind into just a, a hole of wickedness, including mockery of Christ's return. Men mock the prophecy of the second coming because they mock God's authority as the creator. But notice what Peter writes, again, in verse 7, the same word. This message of Christ's return, it's not a myth. It's not just the words of man. It's not wishful thinking on man's part. It is the word of the creator of the universe. It has the same power. It has the same authority because it comes from God. He wrote earlier in chapter 1, verse 20. He says that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This message of Christ's return is not something to be taken lightly. Like it's just some, like Peter's just making this up. Like the apostles just made this up. This is word from God. As sure as he created this world, he will one day return to judge and destroy all wickedness and ungodliness. So the response to this is, well, 
Okay, if it's so sure, why hasn't it happened yet? I'm sure all of you, maybe in your, your lifetimes, and that you've been told maybe by your parents or your grandparents, surely the Lord's going to return in your day. Surely, if not in my lifetime, it's going to return in your lifetime. I, I've, I'm thankful to have my grandparents here with me today, uh, and I've had that discussion with my grandpa before. I'm sure my grandpa felt like the Lord was going to return in his lifetime. I'm sure he felt like he was going to return in my dad's lifetime. My dad is sure it's going to return in my, he's going to return in my lifetime. And it's, it's not wrong to be eager. We'll see. And it's not wrong to, to hasten that day. But it hasn't happened yet. And some would say, why hasn't it? Well, we'll see in verses 8 through 10 that this long period of time, these 2,000 or so years that have passed since Christ ascended, these are not an indication of God's laziness, of God's slowness, of God's forgetfulness. This is, in fact, a, a great testament to the patience and grace of our Lord. In verse 8, Peter wrote this, But do not overlook this fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Peter uses an illustration here. He uses this figurative language to show how God, what we view as slow or fast, what we view as a long time or a short time, God just, he sees it all. God sees the past, he sees the present, he sees the future. One day is like a thousand years to God. A thousand years is like one day to God. And he explains what he means in the next verse, in verse 9. He's talking about that the Lord is not slow. You think that because a few years have passed, you think because a couple thousand years have passed that God has just kind of taken a sweet time and doesn't care about what's going on. You think that he's slow in fulfilling his promises. But God is not slow. God is perfect. God has the perfect timing for everything. Everything he says and does, it's not slow or fast. It's not too soon or too late. Everything he says and does is simply at the perfect point. And that includes the return of Christ. We look at this world and we think, man, with the things going on, why not today? You know, why, why is Jesus not coming back today? The things, the, the horrible wickedness that's going on in our, our country, in the world, why is the Lord not coming back yet? Why has he not come back yet? And this is why. It's because God doesn't want anyone to perish. God's desire is not that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance, that all would turn to him in faith. I, I'm going to, as an aside, there is a vile lie being taught in, in, among Christians and even among Baptists that you have no choice in your salvation, but you are predestined to believe or to reject Christ. That is a lie. Do not believe that. This verse is some of the strongest evidence against this this awful teaching. Jesus, God does not want a single person to perish. It is not God's will that any person reject Christ and go to hell. God's desire is repentance. And that's why he sent his son to die for our sins, that we would believe in him and have redemption, have forgiveness. It's not slowness or laziness that delays the return of Christ. It is the patience of a compassionate creator. He's waiting. 
He wants people to repent. He doesn't want people to perish. Even today, right now, God is blessing us with time to repent and turn to Him. Hopefully you can relate to this in your own life and you can see how God has been patient with you. I can in my own life. When I look back to my salvation, I'm thankful God gave me time. I'm thankful God was patient with me. I was obstinate for a while. I was, I was unbelieving for a while. And God was patient with me. God is patient with the whole world. Every day is, is evidence of God's patience. The breath you took this morning, that's God's patience. He wants you to serve Him. He wants you to repent and turn to Him. But while God is patient, He is also faithful. And what He has said He will do, He will do. In verse 10, Peter wrote, But the day of the Lord, I'm sorry, yes, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavens, heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed, or your Bible might say melted. The truth is that God is patient, and every day is a blessing of patience from the Creator, waiting on His creation to repent and believe in His Son. But it is absolutely certain that this day of the Lord is coming. And it's going to come like a thief, he says. You don't know when a thief's coming. It's going to come at a time that you don't know. It'll come like a thief. And then he says, when that day does come, Lord returns, the heavens will pass away with a roar. And the heavenly bodies, I think he's talking about star, the moon, the sun, the heavenly bodies, they'll melt as they burn. They'll be burned up and dissolved. And the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. I like this translation, exposed. I think it makes a lot of sense with what Peter's readers were dealing with. There was all sorts of lying, all sorts of deceit about what God's word says and what God was going to do. Christ is not returning. Men were abounding in darkness, doing deceitful, wicked things, and they were, they were living in darkness. People don't understand. You couldn't see the truth because of all the, the wickedness that was going on. But in the day of the Lord, this world is going to be exposed. The world and all the works on it, they're going to be seen for what they are. The lies that were being told to Peter's readers and that are being told today about the return of Christ, they're going to be evident that they are lies. And those who have trusted in a lie are going to find out that they've trusted in a lie. And those who have believed in the Son of God and trusted in His return are going to be rewarded. This earth, the heavenly bodies, the heavens, they're, they're temporary. They're going to go away. in this day that's coming like a thief. Light is going to be shed on all the destructive heresies that are being taught. All wickedness that abounds in darkness is going to be exposed and dealt with by the judgment of the Lord. See, God, He is patient and He is faithful. He will do what He will do. He must judge sin. He's a righteous God. He must judge sin and deal with the wickedness in this world. We should have confidence in God's timing, as we've seen. That God knows the perfect time for this. He's patient. We can believe this. Know that every single day that you have on earth is, is evidence of God's patience with you. To serve Him, to turn to Him. But don't overlook God's faithfulness to His Word. Do you believe that God created the universe? 
Do you believe that the Word of God had authority to, to speak you into existence? Believe also that Christ is returning. Have confidence in God's timing. And in the meantime, our hope in Christ should motivate our daily walk with Him. And I want to finish reading verses 11 through 13. See, the truth is that having this confidence in Christ's return and looking to the future of His return is something that should affect you today. You don't need to worry about whether or not it's going to happen or the timing of when it's going to happen. You need to do today what you're supposed to do to prepare for it. In verse 11, he says, Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. What do I do in the meantime? How do I treat this time that God has given me? Are you going to count it as slowness, or are you going to use it to serve the Lord? Are you going to doubt the return, or are you going to have confidence in it and let it affect the way you live? Paul, or Peter wrote that we, need to, we should have lives in, in holiness and godliness, being set apart to the Lord, being conformed to Him and His will, all the while waiting for and hastening the coming day of God. There's two different words here, waiting and hastening. It's not that you can make it come faster. Not, you're not trying to make the world more and more wicked so that it comes faster. It's, it's an eager expectation. You have confidence that it's going to happen, and you are eagerly awaiting that day. And I love how he finishes in verse 13. That day when the, the heavens are set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn, there's another promise here that Peter mentions. See, it's not just going to be, there's not just going to be destruction. But he says, according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. There's, there's the good news. That God is not just destroying everything, destroy everything. He's going to make things new. A new dwelling place. Not where wickedness dwells, not where lies and deceit dwell and where, where people mock the word of God and Christ's return. This is going to be a place where righteousness itself lives. And he uses this word, the promise. Notice that the same word which promises the return of Christ also promises this new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. You can be sure that God created the universe, that he brought the flood, that Christ is going to return, and that God is going to make new heavens and a new earth. And if you have received the righteousness of Christ through faith, you can set your hope in a new dwelling place where righteousness lives. That, that new heaven and that new earth, you can look forward to that like Peter was, like his readers were, if you have the righteousness of Christ, which is only given to you by faith in Jesus. Are you prepared for that day? Here's another year we're about to come to, the year 2020. Here's another day right now that God has given you. Have you prepared? If you're here this morning and you've not trusted in Christ as your Savior, you are not prepared. You are not ready for that day. That day is going to be a day of destruction of the ungodly. But here's the good news. God doesn't want you to perish. But God loves you and sent His Son to die for you on the cross. And if you repent, you turn, and you put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior, He will save you. And you can have this confidence in an eternity of righteousness in the presence of God. 
And if you're here this morning and you have trusted in Christ as your Savior, are you serving Him? Are you preparing for that day like Peter wrote? Are you living a life of holiness and godliness? When Jesus comes back, will He find you watching? <laughs> will He find you waiting on Him? Will He find you living a life that points others to Him? If not, you're not living that life, you're not prepared. Be prepared. Be waiting. Be serving God right now so that when he comes back, he finds a pleasing people. His children are serving him and waiting for his return. If you would, please stand as we prepare for an invitation. If you would, bow your heads with me and we'll have a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this day that you've given us. Lord, help us not to take this day for granted. That today is a blessing from you. Lord, it's your patience. That even right now we would choose to serve you. Lord, that we would turn from our own ways and believe in you. And Lord, I pray that if there's someone here this morning who's not made the decision to believe in your son as their savior, that they would do it before it's too late. That they would take advantage of this time you've given them. Lord, we await Christ's return. We look to it eagerly. Lord, help our church to be living lives of holiness and godliness waiting for his return. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.